Welcome to the NBA Trades Podcast. I'm your host, Raphael. Today, I have a really special guest, and I feel like I have him on, like, all the time, and it is amazing. And we haven't talked in a while because all this NBA stuff has happened and all this NBA stuff has not happened because it's pretty been a pretty bland August outside of the Kyrie Irving trade. But today, my special guest is poet, writer, author, Anthony Canton, my bro. Anthony, what's up? Hey, man. What's going on? Thanks for all the, uh, the AKAs. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem. So, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, the summer's over. You know, NBA stuff is still not going on. Football obviously started yesterday, mm-hmm. and the Patriots lost, so that's always good. Yes, and I know happy. we're talking about something that's not NBA, but anyway, um, yeah, that, it was very interesting. So this summer, lots of stuff happened. How did you feel about this summer of action and non-action in basketball? Um, it was another example of the great the great NBA offseason that's turned into like a year-round thing because we thought the offseason was over and then the Kyrie trade demands happened towards the end of July and then um, we got the Kyrie trade finally happening and then the Isaiah stuff with his physical happened and then they had to get through that and then the trade finally happened and then we had the press conference. Uh, both uh, Kyrie's and Isaiah's press conferences were interesting because everybody was looking for some type of nugget about LeBron and, of course, with Isaiah Thomas, the stuff about his hip. So that's been a big topic of conversation as of late. So that was, all of that is interesting. And then you talk about everything that's happened with Houston getting Chris Paul and Oklahoma City getting Paul George and, and Jimmy Butler going to the Timberwolves. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of league-moved teams – and it's funny how all of that happened, and we still feel like the NBA season is still a foregone conclusion for the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, and and I think you really can't argue against it. I mean, it's sort of like they're they're the the favorites, and I I mean they got better, really, you know, going after solid NBA players, not really happy just by re-signing their their the most of their roster. They're pretty much set. Like, you know, the only players they really lost are Ian Clark, who they they lost to the Pelicans, who he went and signed. But, you know, they signed Omri Caspi and signed Nick Young. So they're pretty much set. And they saved some money by Kevin Durant taking a little bit of a pay cut. So I think that, the, you know, it's really hard to argue for any team really sort of putting any kind of run together especially with with Cleveland and San Antonio not necessarily making the big moves that people had hoped obviously the Spurs you know wanted to go after Chris Paul and and it didn't really work out pretty much right away because the Houston Clippers trade sort of just came together out of nowhere and the Spurs you know they're still going to be really good and Kawhi's a top you know two or three player in the league And so they're always going to be there just because they have him. And I think on Cleveland's side, you know, a lot of people criticize them for the front office situation with David Griffin leaving and not really allowing him to do his job before his contract expired and, and not being, and him working on trying to get Jimmy Butler or Paul George up until he was let go or up until his contract expired. And then how long it took to hire someone in the front office before they eventually settled on 
uh, Kobe Altman, who was already there in their front office and promoted him. So, you know, it, it, it's tough. And then, and then the Kyrie trade demand already, like, happens. And, and they get what they get. And I think they got the best that they could get out of that trade. If Isaiah Thomas, who's injured with his hip situation can really help because while Jay Crowder is a great addition because he adds something that they really sorely missed last year, which was a wing defender who can guard some of the better scorers in the NBA and can guard different positions. You know, Jay Crowder contributes a lot in the, on that end and he adds to their depth. But now that you trade Kyrie and then you get someone who's hurt and we don't know how long he's going to miss it makes it harder to really gauge whether Cleveland can compete. We don't really know the seriousness of Isaiah's injury. And and like you said in the press conference, well, that's what sort of made that press conference funny this week was the we're no we're this is not the Isaiah Thomas hip press conference like we're not talking about that, which is is revealing in itself, which says that there is some kind of concern. The guy has not ran this summer, which is a I mean you can't play basketball without running. So there are a lot of questions about that. And, you know, on Isaiah's, Isaiah's and on the individual side, it's just fired his agent and right. is, is moving on to someone else. So obviously this matters to him in some kind of respect. And if he misses a big portion of the season, that just shortens the amount of time he has to prove even more that he's perfectly healthy that he is still capable at his age. I mean, he's not really old, but I think he's like 29. So he has, still has something to prove. And he's still he's a short point guard. It's always going to be something that he has to work against. And going into free agency, he's expecting the Brinks truck. But there are a lot of things, even if he wasn't injured, that are still problematic. If LeBron James chooses to leave Cleveland, which a lot of people feel like he's, it's almost like a foregone conclusion that he's going to go, then, then Cleveland would have no interest in pursuing keeping Isaiah Thomas because they would be considering rebuilding. They wouldn't be bringing out the Brinks truck when they know that they're not going to be competing for a championship if LeBron is not there. So it creates this problem for Isaiah where there are only going to be so many teams with, with the cap space to sign a free agent outright. It really makes it a difficult situation and just sort of unlucky when you think about it him signing the four-year 27 million dollar contract and sort of being the bargain of the NBA the past few years and now when he's expecting to get paid after performing there's a good chance he might not get what he was expecting he might still get something nice but he won't get you know say the 30 million dollars a year Kyrie I mean um, Kyle Lowry got this past summer or the money that Reggie Jackson... Well, actually, Reggie Jackson is pretty, a pretty good... Con- he might get something like that, and, you know, he's proven himself to be above that level, an all-NBA second-teamer. So, you know, Cleveland still is just... Jay Crowder's a nice addition, and I think a lot of people think that that and acquiring the Brooklyn pick and Ante Zizic were good good acquisitions. And, and Isaiah, too, if he's healthy, is a good acquisition. But still, a lot of people feel like anything. They're not going to be Golden State with that team. Like, you'd need, like, 12 superstars to be Golden State at this point. So, it's going to be really hard. And with that, only only few teams are really contenders at this point. I think, you know, Houston made a really big run. And OKC, too. 
And that really is sort of where it stops after that. There aren't a lot of teams that are on the level of Golden State. And I think that's just what it comes back to at the end of the day. Aw, that makes things sound so depressing for next season. (laughs) But that's the funny thing. Like, We had this same conversation during the offseason last year about, you know, kind of it being a foregone conclusion that Golden State was going to win. And I think I had a a little bit more of a, a downtrodden look towards that season which uh, was last season but this year I feel like I do appreciate the fact that both Houston and Oklahoma City took a shot and Houston's team is a lot is a lot better they made an upgrade in Chris Paul it'll be fun to see how both him and Harden fit together and what they could do with with a lot of the guys uh, that they added and uh, and I'm, I'm curious to see different lineups that they use plus uh, Oklahoma City and adding Paul George, Russell Westbrook, after what he did last season with averaging a triple-double, uh, highest usage rate we've ever seen. Uh, it was on levels that, I, you know, you can't even imagine. But this year, him playing with a true uh, second star in Paul George, um, how will he curtail his game? Does he need to curtail his game? And how those two fit together. And I do think that Oklahoma City, with adding Patrick Patterson and uh, re-signing Andre Robertson and the different types of lineups that they can play, I think they're presently equipped to be a real threat in the playoffs. Um, you know, they, they could be very competitive against the Warriors. I'm not saying necessarily that they would beat them, but I feel like they're best equipped to defend them better than any other team that I've seen uh, make any moves this offseason. And then, you you know, you wonder how Minnesota with Jimmy Butler and Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Jeff Teague now, how they come together, how are they going to deal with space on that team because the shooting still isn't great. So, I mean, when you look at the teams that have gotten uh, upgrades and gotten better, you appreciate the fact that they've, they've tried that. And, you know, you have a lot of different new... Uh, uh, combinations and lineups and now we get to see exactly how those things will look as the season is really fast approaching it's gonna be here within a month so i think it's gonna be interesting the east is really gonna be bad that's one thing to look at and who makes the playoffs from basically like four to five through eight is gonna be interesting and then of course at the top with fit together and and cleveland Will LeBron at some point actually begin to slow down? It's a legit question. You can see, you can, we've seen this for so long, heading into his 15th year in the league, and what he's doing is unprecedented. So if he's going to come into another season and dominate like he has, I think that would be incredibly amazing. We've seen no signs of really slowing down besides, you know, the actual. You know, maybe a slight loss of athleticism. He noticeable as he continues to rack up minutes and incredible statistics throughout both regular season and postseason. So the NBA is still interesting. Don't get me wrong, but again, the the Warriors are are what they are. It's going to be hard to see them getting beat, but you never know. We've seen injuries happen before, and they almost had an injury last season that kind of. Uh, derailed them a little bit with a Kevin Durant's injury able to come back so 
there's so many different avenues and so many different ways we can look at it, but this NBA season is still going to be all the moves and seeing how everybody fits things together. I agree. It's going to be, I think, I mean, regardless, even if you feel like a team is going to win a championship, I mean, generally speaking, when you think about every season in NBA history, whether it be the Lakers of the early 2000s, the Bulls in the late 90s especially, or the early 90s, or any of the Celtics or Lakers teams in the 80s, or even if we're going all the way back, those Celtics teams from the 50s and the 60s, you know, the reality is that there is a team that's always going to be the favorite and sort of always does manage to win, and sort of you have to deal with that and see if you yeah. can compete. And sometimes you're going to have periods like this where there doesn't feel like uh, there is a team that can be on the same level as that top-tier team. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, looking at all of the, the transactions that happened this summer, there were 34 trades, so just pointing that out. 34 trades that happened from the draft up until today in september in early september which is where we are at and what trade intrigued you the most from this summer that you think will have the biggest impact in the next five years pairing jimmy butler and carl towns i think there's a good chance if butler resigns after his contract is up then having towns around will definitely help take the pressure off of jimmy butler as his time in Chicago, he's played a lot of minutes over there, and I'm sure he'll play a lot of minutes over for Minnesota because basically he's dealing with uh, the same coach that he had for the first couple of years of his career and Tom Thibodeau. So he's going to need Carl Anthony Towns to shoulder the load, and I'm looking forward to seeing that combination, Wiggins, Butler, and Towns, and whether Wiggins, um, even though he's been a 20-point scorer in the league, we, we have to see if he can stretch his game beyond beyond the three-point line. I think that's going to be important. Jimmy Butler is going to have to become a, probably a better three-point shooter, too. As that team, as talented as they are, and, how, and a lot of people think that they're going to have a big impact in the West this season, shooting is a problem when it comes to the playoffs. And, and when teams can game plan, specifically a team like the Warriors, who are very talented, and I think Oklahoma City is a... Uh, another team that you could say here that can defend and uh, defend multiple positions and defend defend different types of offenses. Yeah, uh, them figuring it out, Minnesota along the line in the next couple of seasons is going to be important because you know they're going to have to pay. They're going to have to pay Wiggins. They're going to have to pay Towns, and they're going to have to pay Butler again if they want to keep him in another couple of years. You know, once that happens. That changes your flexibility and how you're going to be able to add players and add talent around them. And the biggest issue with the Timberwolves, and you can't stress it enough, is they need perimeter shooting. So they're going to have, it's going to be very impactful. They're going to be good for a while, but whether they can go to the next level, that's what that's what we have to wait to find out. And that's a lot of a lot of that's on tips to figure out how to fit the pieces in and. And make and and make the make it more aesthetically uh, pleasing, not only for fans but for themselves, as it's not a, a log jam with no spacing. It's definitely tough to to put that. Yeah, that group around just the spacing is a really big problem, and and like you said, they they also have a really big depth problem. I mean, they're really strong 
from probably like one to five. They're probably going to have a really solid defensive, at least starting lineup with Jeff Teague, Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, and Gorgie Ding. But after that, they really are thin for them to sort of create the space or, or take advantage of that opportunity to go after and and sort of fill out their bench because that was a problem they had last year. Even with before trading for Jimmy Butler, they really didn't have a, a strong bench. So, and, and I mean, Thibodeau was playing like eight-man rotations and certain guys were playing like, you know, Jordan Hill played like 12 minutes last year, it felt like. And guys like Cole Aldridge never really got a chance to play. And it's going to be really interesting to see if Thibodeau is, is going to at least expand his rotation a little bit. Uh, but it feels like he's just going to do what he's always done. And, yeah. and so an, an, another trade we didn't talk about, I think that we never really got a chance to talk about a lot because we sort of, I think we did the podcast around the time after, after the draft, like right after the draft. So I think it was like Jimmy, we talked about like the Jimmy Butler Bulls and Timberwolves trade, but we didn't really talk about the Paul George deal. And you mm-hmm. and you mentioned it when we talked just earlier now about, you know, how they have the the lineup, especially starting lineup, defensively to match up with Golden State. Um, you know, it's an interesting trade from both sides. You know, the Pacers were criticized heavily for acquiring Victor Oladipo and Damanis Sabonis and not getting a draft pick, especially a first-round draft pick from Oklahoma City. And for a star like Paul George, and, you know, they had a lot of opportunities. People talked about Boston during the trade deadlines, offering numerous picks, allegedly, to Indiana. And then this summer, um, the, you know, the Lakers were talking to Indiana because Paul George's, his interest is to go to Los Angeles. And a few other teams like Cleveland were talking to the Pacers and trying to see what they could get for Paul George. There was a three-team trade involving Denver and Gary Harris that I think that you know a lot of people felt would have been good too for the Pacers with a first-round pick, and Kevin Love would have gone to Denver. So it ends up the way it ends up. Paul George goes to Oklahoma City. They're now a team contending, and you know I think a lot of people sort of are underrating them. You know, because a lot of people don't like the way that Russell Westbrook plays. I think that's a, sort of a reality in in a sense. But they have a really good shot this year to at least be a you know a top four seed and get home court advantage in the first round. And then on the flip side, you have Indiana, who sort of now is a part of this group of Eastern teams that had always sort of been there in the playoff picture, like Chicago and Atlanta. And now you pretty much could argue all three teams are going to be fighting for the bottom. What do you think about the trade from both sides? Uh, see the thing with Indiana is like it's it, we always do the hindsight is twenty twenty thing as far as you know they should have done this then and they should have done this then. I think the one thing I would say about their decision making in this whole situation is the idea of you should have had an idea that Paul George wanted to leave uh, probably earlier with all of the comments that he was making throughout the season last season, and I think they could have been a little bit more proactive in that instead of waiting until, you know, Paul George and his agent gave him that that ultimatum about wanting to leave after uh, this upcoming season. With that being said, it's still tough because we don't really always know what 
is out there and what's of it, what was available at the time for them to make a trade. But see, when is when is when is a guy who you can make an argument top ten, top fifteen players in the NBA, and on his best day is definitely top ten. You know, you have. I feel like you have to get more, and I think. See, in terms of value, as far as Sabonis and uh, Victor Oladipo are concerned, see, you would have to hope that Oladipo turns into a star, or then, when you look at the money and the contract, as far as that's concerned, then the value is not the same. Now, granted, you're not going to get the same value back from Paul George. Of course not. You're not. But I feel like they should have gotten a pick and return, or something like that. I feel like they could have definitely gotten more, but... You know, with that being said, it's always a difficult situation to deal with whenever you're trying to, trying to trade uh, a star slash superstar. Now, as in terms of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City put themselves in a really good position, regardless of whether Westbrook and George stay or Westbrook and George go, because we still have the the Westbrook uh, extension situation that is still like hang. It's really like hanging out there like a like a sore thumb. So we, we have to see what happens with that. And then, of course, we still hear about Paul George going to the Lakers and how that's still a foregone conclusion and that's going to happen, yada, yada, LeBron, the whole nine yards. But in terms of this year, uh, Oklahoma City put themselves in position to have a really good season and to give themselves a really good shot to advance deep into the playoffs with the team that they put together. Uh, that they defend multiple positions. Uh, Russell Westbrook will not have the same pressure offensively that he's that he had last year, which is huge. I know he, he, he they were able to keep his minutes low, but they may even be able to keep his minutes lower if they need to this season with Paul George. And I think they're going to be a team that you may not see it in the regular season, where you you're not going to see necessarily all the things come together and everything looking crisp and smooth and stuff like that. But if they're able to jump and get into the playoffs and get the right matchup, of course, then they could be really, really dangerous. Because I find the ability to have two guys who who can score in many different types of ways and George taking the pressure off of Westbrook. And then you're able to defend and take the pressure off of Westbrook on the defensive end because we know that defense is not his greatest attribute and maybe he might defend better with better defenders on the team and with a guy like Paul George who could defend some point guards in some situations if he has to and you can also use Andre Robertson on point guard so the versatility defensively I think is a huge huge aspect of what I think makes Oklahoma City a quote-unquote sleeper team in terms of if there's going to be a team that's going to beat Golden State then I think it might be them, if 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 there's anybody in the West that can do it. I'm not sold that Houston can get that done, but um, I am more sold idea. You could talk me into Oklahoma City having a shot to upset the Warriors. Interesting. Well, I you know I think that OKC does have a chance to you know maybe possibly upset like. I could see them upsetting Houston. I definitely can't see them upsetting Golden State, but I could, yeah. I, you know, I could see them making it to the conference finals. You never know. So, the 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 NBA, like you know, like on the flip side, you have teams like that who who are taking steps forward, like that, and then you have a team like the Clippers, who sort of, in a way, it feels like it's hard to really discern if 
if if they took a step back or they took a step forward, I think they did a good PR job of making it seem like it was all Chris Paul's fault, and and um and sort of you know going after Danilo Gallinari, signing and trading for him. They all, and like I had mentioned, they traded Chris Paul to the Houston Rockets for a group of players that included Patrick Beverly, Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams. So those are probably like the key guys. They got a few other like contracts to, that they ended up waiving. So, it I think that trades really those two parts of it are interesting. You give up a point guard like Chris Paul, you get a a, a point guard in Patrick Beverly who's a really good defender, and you also they also signed uh, Milos Teodosic from uh, overseas, and and you know he's considered probably one of like the best European point guards out there, or the best. So a lot of people are excited for that, but they, you know, on the flip side, you know, you lose Chris Paul, you lose JJ Redick, yeah. you lose Jamal Crawford. I know a lot of people think he's not that good anymore, and you know, you really have to rebuild it. Now you're more of a front court heavy team. You have Gallo, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan as your probably your three best players. And you have to figure out a way to, to make it all fit. You know, Gallo at his best probably is a power forward right now. But he's going to end up playing a lot of small forward if Blake and DeAndre play the usual minutes that they do and they're healthy, which, you know, Blake hasn't been healthy the past couple of years. I just find it really hard for this team. It's a weird mishmash of players, and they're sort of top-heavy, especially in the front court. They don't really have a great bench, and they have a few players like you know, Montrez and Sam Decker, who showed some signs with the with the Rockets. And, you know, Lou Williams is a really good scorer, but there's not much else that he does after that. So what do you think about the Clippers coming into the season? The Clippers? Well, I think their issue is they invested a lot of money in Danilo Gallinari, and they invested heavily, obviously, in Blake Griffin. Which, to me, is always going to be an issue because, because he's with his Kendall. injury history, you, you, <laughs> I, can't look at, I can't look at his injury history as any other way, but like it's just a neon sign of danger, of, of uh, peril, if, if you will. Because so, I, I just, he's getting to the point, he's getting close to 30 years old, he's, not, he's a couple of years away, uh, away from there, and he's already had this significant injury history. Back. I don't think he's coming back to start the season. And I'm just not sure what's going to happen with him. So if you're not sure what's going to happen with him, it's and you invested that much money and that much of your cap into him and that, that many years, and shout out to him for cashing out on that. <laughs> but um, if, if, if you're going to invest that much into him and you don't know exactly what's happening there... And which they don't, which they, you could say that they do, but they actually don't because of his history. It, all of your moves and everything that you do, you would think would be built around Blake. But if Blake is not going to be healthy for most of the time, and they're going to have that type of issue always being there trying to build around a guy who you can't trust. And that just doesn't make me feel yeah, you're right. It's a mishmash of players. So I'm not sure exactly how that's going to go. And I wouldn't trust it, that's for sure. Well, it's a mishmoosh. It's a mishmoosh. And it's a, a neon, a neon. So the, is the neon on his, uh, his, what, his hand since he broke it last year? 
Where's the neon you know, red? The, you know the um, the operator uh, toy that uh, we used to have when we when we were younger. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could you could put Blake Griffin on there and have that same like if you you know you you use the uh, if you use the what's that what are those things called the the, the tongs or whatever to, to to hit the certain body parts and then you hear the eh, eh, that, that's kind of like uh, Blake Griffin's knee toe and other uh, parts of his body. Word. Yeah, I don't know about that team. It's really tough, and it's going to be a test for Doc Rivers because, you know, he's only wants to play. He only wants to coach contenders. So, it's going to be interesting to see if he can get that team going or if that team can figure it out. But I think it's going to be a struggle, especially early on, to figure out their fit, even if they're all healthy. And that's a big question with Gallo, who has had a lengthy injury history, and like we had mentioned, Blake. So another team, so we'll talk about Houston because I think that's the, you know, the big one. They sort of have fallen a little bit further out of the conversation just because of a recency bias. I think since they made their big move of sign, of going after Chris Paul and then signing P.J. Tucker and uh, Luke Bahamute, they did all that stuff really early and then it was just sort of like, we good. And then they re-signed James Harden and gave him a contract extension. And it sort of just sort of... You know, people forgot about it. This Kyrie stuff happened. The Celtics getting Gordon Hayward happened. And just, it it just sort of erased it. Like, oh, wait, what did the Rockets do? So, like, like I had mentioned about the Clippers trade, the Rockets get Chris Paul. They signed him to a conch, or they, they, or he opted in, and, and they, then they traded for him. So, it's a, it's a new look for the Rockets, but... A lot of people still question whether Chris Paul and James Harden can play together, whether they fit with how both of them handle the ball. But other than that, a lot of people are optimistic about the team because they've added a lot of really quality players. Like, they still have Trevor Ariza, who's still a quality wing, especially as a defender. And then you have P.J. Tucker, who's physical. He could play the four. And then you have Bahamute, who can do this, pretty much the same things. They're both not great shooters, but they both can knock down a shot occasionally. And while Houston was sort of sapped a little bit of its depth with losing Lou Williams, Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, all guys who played at times during the regular season for them, not as much in the playoffs. Well, Lou Williams played in the playoffs. The other two, uh, they're, they're, uh, I think Decker was injured and Montrez Harrell just completely fell out of the rotation. But Houston still has some key rotation players that are good. They have Clint Capella and Nene at center. Both very quality, did a good job last year playing together as pick-and-roll guys with Harden. And they still have Ryan Anderson, who pretty much is involved in every Carmelo trade possible, but it's not going to happen. And no one wants him. But but despite his salary, he still is a very good three-point shooter. And while he can be exposed defensively, especially in the playoffs, he is very useful in the regular season. And there is still an important part of winning the regular season. Do you think that Houston got massively better where they can compete with Golden State, or do you still think that they're not necessarily where they can be? I think there's still a rung below. You have to consider Chris Paul's uh, history in terms of not only his uh, long, lengthy career to this point, he's getting up to the age where point guards tend to break down a little bit. And when guarding anybody of course he has to guard Steph Curry and Steph Curry has kind of taken advantage of him in the last couple of seasons so that's definitely an issue 
but offensively, this team's going to be a dynamo. They're going to be tremendous. You can't expect anything less from them than uh, offensive efficiency at its highest level. You're going to have, I would assume, a top five offense, obviously. And pressure off of James Harden is important, as we saw him wear down late in the playoffs against the Spurs. You saw game five uh, in those in that overtime. He had nothing. And uh, I don't know what happened in that game six. I think that's still a mystery to everybody in the league. But, you know, you can make the argument is that, he, you know, he played a ton of minutes and he was going after the most valuable player award last season. And, and that all took a toll on him. So Chris Paul should be able to take some of the ball handling and uh, distribution duties away from him and make it a little bit easier for him and a little bit more. Uh, the, I like them overall as, you, you know, they might probably, to me, they're, in terms of record, I think they'll probably have the second best record in the West this year. Uh, I don't think that, I think we're going to finally see, not necessarily the Spurs go like below 50 wins or anything like that, but I don't think you're going to see the Spurs at that high level unless we see Kawhi get much better considering who the Spurs you know, haven't added or, you know, didn't really make a lot of improvements to their team. But as far as the Rockets are concerned, I think uh, statistically, record-wise, I think they'll be the second-best team in the West. But in the playoffs, just like anything else, when you use the San Antonio blueprint of being able to take away threes and take away dunks, and uh, force them to shoot mid-range, which is something that they don't want to do, I think that's where Chris Paul could be a positive because a lot of his game is based off of that. And when you see the uh, the splits of what Houston did in the San Antonio series and what a stark contrast of what their numbers were inside the paint and outside the paint and from mid-range, Chris Paul could really help that aspect. Uh, the you know, Nene's back. You want to see Clint Capella take another step forward. And you also want to see what P.J. Tucker could do as a perimeter defender. Their defense, again, is something that you're going to have to look at and say, okay, we need we need something better. But then at the same time, it's still Mike D'Antoni, so you don't know exactly what the priority is as far as defense. But they're a little bit more better equipped to play it against a team like the Warriors. But, no, I'm not – I'm. I feel like, again, I, I really like Oklahoma City as a sleeper team to beat any of these teams to have a shot at the Warriors. But you never know. Chris Paul and uh, James Harden are an incredible duo. And I think after, you know, maybe 15 to 20 games, they'll settle into a nice uh, rapport with each other on the court. And it should pay dividends. And I think whatever they could get from anybody else of any of their additions, plus any of the mainstays that are, that have been there, uh, they'll be fine in terms of the regular season. All of it just depends on come postseason and certain matchups, specifically against the Warriors, because that's what all we'll talk about as far as uh, the playoffs is concerned. Uh, that's where, that's when it's going to be a little bit of an issue for them going forward. But you can't, you can't help but feel encouraged about how they're going to look for the regular season and setting themselves up for the playoffs. Word. So, you know, we talked about a lot of these trades and, and whatnot. But I guess rapid fire, I'll ask you three quick questions mm-hmm. about this offseason. 
What was the move that surprised you the most? It could be free agency, trade, you know, wave, I don't know, whatever transaction. What transaction surprised you the most? Oh, definitely Paul George going to Oklahoma City. That came out of nowhere. Um, yeah. No, I feel weird. you. <laughs> you say that, and then Kyrie Irving, with the trade demand happened, and that kind of came out of nowhere, too. Oh, so yeah. I would, say, I would definitely say those two. But I would say the Paul George trade, because all we heard from that time was Boston, was Cleveland, that, Lakers. You know, oh, they're going to either hold on to him until the regular season, or we were going to see Boston because of the package that they were going to be able to provide for the Pacers. But when it, we saw that it was Oklahoma City, I think everybody was stunned. And I was incredibly stunned when I saw that that trade happened. And for what? And not only that the trade happened, but what they got Paul George for, I think, is also something that was stunning, equally stunning. Yeah, because no draft pick is just... It's always going to be shocking when a star... Unless you're getting an equal talent or at least somebody comparable, you know, no first-round draft pick is sort of a shocker. When you trade a, a superstar or a star, I don't know. Some people view Paul George as, I don't know. Um, I, he must be a star. You have his shoes, right? I do. I, I think he's a star. I think, listen, man, I think he's a great player. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I think in the right situation, he could be uh, 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 a top player on the championship team whether you want to consider him the second best player in the future if, if that's the case i think um yeah i think he's definitely on that level with those guys i've seen him in the playoffs go toe-to-toe with lebron and give himself a shot to win so toe-to-toe um okay so second uh wrap it this is, i'm not going that fast um <laughs> what <laughs> what what role player move do you think will have the most impact this summer I mean, from this summer that you think it could be a signing or it could be a trade like the last one? Well, still thinking, still thinking, I know this has been very uh, Oklahoma City centric, but I go back to Patrick Patterson. What they were able to sign for in terms of value and what he could provide, even after he had a little bit of a down year last year and he was hurt a little bit. I think if he comes back healthy, he could provide something for the Thunder that they've been looking for what in terms of shooting and uh, versatility defensively be the stretch four that they need and maybe in a pinch play him at center in certain lineups if they have to and i think adding him and not having the not having to really pony up the money that much and not affecting what they're going to do long term i think that was a very good move and uh and i think it'll pay dividends for for the thunder and final rapid fire or slow fire or slow burn. I guess, actually, that would be high. We should just change to slow burn. Um, slow burn. <laughs> uh, your third slow burn. So what move out of all of these transactions that happened this summer, what move do you think was the worst move from any team? What do you think? Who went in the complete wrong direction? Like, I didn't, this trade made no sense for me. Wow. Or, or free wow. agent or free agent signing. See, I think you could either go Pacers with Paul George, or you could go Knicks with Tim Hardaway. Uh, Knicks with Tim Hardaway because you gave him what was it, eighty four million? So put them in a very uh, difficult place in terms of you know free agency in the future and the, when they want to build around Porzingis. Even if Carmelo, or even when Carmelo's contract comes off the books, they'll be in a very difficult place. Uh, right. You know, whether they buy him out this summer or whatnot. But I've sort of given up on the Carmelo thing. I don't care about that anymore. That's okay, so. Another, yeah. That's a whole other story, that situation. Yeah, so we've talked about 
you know, a lot of fun things, a lot of, you know, trades and whatever, signings. So we're going to turn it over to you. I mean, you, this summer was a big moment for you. You released your second book. It was called Selfish. It's a poetry book. And, you know, it was a, a really interesting read. I read through it. I obviously read through the early parts of when you were writing it initially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you you wrote it and... You know, how does it feel for the book to come out now? And uh, congratulations. Thank you, first of all. And uh, thanks to everybody who has bought a copy and who has uh, been supporting the book. I, I do appreciate everybody who's bought it. And um, um, I, it's very satisfying. Anything that you could do where you start something and you're able to finish it is uh, very satisfying. And it's nice to have been able to publish two books in two years. Uh, this one also being a hardcover and paperback copy. So, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I've been able to do this. And I think it's just something different. The book is something different. It's it's a, it's a human story told in poetry form with a lot of anecdotes. And I think a lot of good lessons. There were definitely good lessons for me in writing this. And I think the reader will find themselves questions. Uh when they get through the book as far as themselves and it's and in that way that the the story is incredibly beautiful because i think it just it just always puts you back in the position of man like this person went through this how would i feel in this situation and and you you i'm sure and i've talked to people who've read the book already and they've kind of had that same type of vibe and uh what they've come up with and stuff like that. So I think it's been great. Uh, you can get the book on Amazon.com. You can get you can get it on xlibris.com. That's the publisher. Uh, rate and review. And yeah, th- and thanks everybody for for uh, checking it out. You could also check a little blurb that um, I did in Respect Magazine that has like a little description of what the book is about and uh what it means to me but overall i'm just very i'm very excited uh, and i hope the book does well and i hope uh i hope people enjoy it more uh, first and foremost the people get a get you know a different idea of life in general and um you know hopefully you could take some something from it as i have that's for sure uh-huh <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, that's great to hear. Um, congratulations again. So, yeah. Thank you. So, th- I guess I'll, I'll end it here. Um, I'll post a link to the the book. Uh, so, anybody listening, if you want to check it out, um, I'll post a link where you can purchase it. So, yeah, NBA Chase Podcast. That's the end, right? It's over. I mean, NBA season is coming <laughs> to a close. and I mean, NBA offseason is coming to a close. And training camp starts in a few weeks. So, yeah, that's it. NBA Trades Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Raphael. Thanks for checking it out. You can follow the podcast or subscribe on the podcast on iTunes, NBA Trades Podcast. Just search for it. It's on Stitcher. It's on Google Play. You can like the page on Facebook, just under NBA Trades. And then on Twitter, NBA underscore trades. You can follow and see. I mean, I post a lot of GIFs and and videos of classic NBA stuff. So if you ever want to check it out and lots of trade talk with people. So this is the NBA Trades Podcast. Thanks, Anthony, for coming on. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Peace, y'all.